All right, welcome to the Texas Triangle NBA podcast. Uh, John here with Eric and David. We're going to talk some summer league, some of our uh, big surprises and disappointments, along with um, some other observations from around summer league, as well as some news and notes around the NBA. So, guys, how you doing? Doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Good to see you again. Doing good. Oh, yeah, man. Great. Great. Just great. Great. Yeah. That's great, man. Yeah. If uh, anybody is wondering about the background before you judge me too hard, uh, we're moving this week. So uh, sorry, that's that's the the byproduct. There is a bunch of shit in the backdrop of our uh, podcasting area. So no, I don't have time to hang a curtain or anything like that to hide it. So you just get to see the real the real me this week. Slob. All right. So uh, I guess let's go ahead and uh, get right into it. Uh, let's start with Eric's Rockets. Uh, so who has stood out to you the most and who's been the most disappointing for you so far? As far as the standout goes, I feel, feel like it'd be pretty much unanimous for most people. Atari Eason has just looked not a 17 pick at all. Uh, it looks incredible. The rumors of his low basketball IQ. Uh, I don't know if Rupert Murdoch started those or what, but they're not true. Apparently uh, he's brilliant on the court, always in the right place. Super humble. Um, doesn't look for his shot, but ends up getting it because he's always in the right spot, offense or defense. He is everywhere. Uh, and I just, man, the combination of him and Jabari Smith Jr. moving forward is just, I've not been this ecstatic about Rockets prospects in a very, very long time, I have to say. So, uh, yeah, Tari is easily easily my pick for uh, for the, the biggest breakout surprise of the Summer League team. Ty Ty is a close second, though, I got to say. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm definitely with you on that. I mean, I've watched all what three Rockets summer league games so far, and each game, the one guy who's shown out the most um, in a lot of different aspects has got to be Tari Eason for me. You can see just how huge and physical, and how much he exerts himself on the court. Just watching, he's like what, six eight, seven three wingspan. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be super hyperbolic this early into the podcast, but there's a little like rookie Kawhi Leonard in there coming from the Spurs. There's a lot of uh, unreasonable optimism on uh, Rockets Twitter that's landing on that exact same spot. So yeah, I, I see that for sure. I see that. I'm trying not to because I don't want to get too excited, but. Yeah, and just the, the way he rebounds, I think he's leading all players uh, who have played at least two summer league games in rebounding. Um, that's just incredible, man. I mean, I still, I think we need to see more from him on the jump shot, but I also think if, if you're planning on pairing him in the front court with Jabari Smith Jr., who I'm sure we'll get to later, is, you know, that's that's a pretty ideal pairing. I think there's a nice yin and yang between those two guys. I think Kawhi might be, like, a high ceiling, but if you can get a Sean Marion, even a late career Sean Marion, you knocked it out of the park, you know? I mean, Sean Marion shot the ball from his ankles for some reason. And somehow, like, by the end of his career, was, it works. was hit, hitting corner threes, you know? <laughs> so one, one other thing about him, though, is I said before the draft, bigger Corey Brewer. And a lot of people took that as an insult, and I did not mean that as an insult. Because if you remember prime Corey Brewer, he was just kind of always all over the place. He was sneaking in for rebounds, getting, you know, break off dunks because he was just to the ball first. Yep. And that's what he made a career out of other than, you know, getting spoon fed quarter threes from James Harden. <laughs> you're, you're very right. 
he used to be the kind of guy who was uh, the small guy who would snag those random uh, put-back dunks and shit over everybody just because he was trying harder than everybody else. His weird little skinny legs would come <laughs> flying through the air, and it'd be like, what the fuck? Who is that guy? I loved Corey Brewer. Yeah, Corey Brewer was awesome. He, One of the like, greatest Houstonians ever. When his time in Houston, he was beloved. I so. mean, he looked like an absolute superstar in college and was drafted really high, so a lot of people shit on him because he wasn't he didn't end up being superstar he had a great game definitely he contributed positively to all of his teams very much so very much so i agree i I didn't even realize it until i watched clips the other day but he was on the mavs championship team really yeah i did not remember that at all but i'm pretty sure he was on there i was i was watching i was watching a recap the other day and i thought i was pretty sure i saw him on there yeah this is where we need a fact checker this is definitely going on the promo for the episode (laughs) Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, damn, that's wild. I did not realize that about Corey Brewer, renowned goat farmer. Mm-hmm. Corey Brewer, best smile in the game. Yeah, he, he's got a million dollar smile. That dude, Corey Brewer, just seems like a sweet person too. I, you I remember, remember the Kevin Love to Corey Brewer outlet passes? Yes, full court touchdown passes from Kevin Love. Man, that's an aspect of his game that I miss seeing. I feel like they could really use with the Cavs, this roster. Like those guards on yes. transition, he could bomb it to those guys, and it would be really fun. Or even like Evan Mobley, the way he can potentially run the court, you know, that would be super fun. It's like a beautiful gazelle out there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, anything else to add on Tari before we go through your most disappointing player? No, I'm really trying my best to get a Atari pitfall reference in for a nickname for Tari. So if anybody's got anything there, um, also follow his mom on Twitter. She's fucking awesome and talks mad shit about basketball and her son. And it is very, very, very fun. Um, but static, <laughs> uh, this is, is a point that's kind of been driven home a lot by a lot of different Rockets people, but This is the first return on the James Harden trade. The first literal asset gotten back straight up from the nets on the James Harden trade is Tari Eason. And everybody, uh, not just Rockets fans, is pretty unanimously excited about this kid. And it's every pick from here on out until 2027 from the Brooklyn Nets. So uh, Rafael Stone has just set this team up so well. It's absurd. Like nothing but horrendous, horrendous coaching, which I guess the jury is still out there, uh, could could derail this, I feel like, or, or, or <laughs> knock on wood. But so, yeah, I'm ecstatic, man. I'm ecstatic about Tari. But help me so out. So after that you. golden shower of praise, <laughs> after all that, give it to us. Who's your most disappointing player? I think for me, it's... Tough to say because everybody is going to want to say Josh Christopher because he's kind of being a bit of a ball hog with it. But I don't know. I think he's kind of just having fun and and trying to assert himself as the second year guy to these young guys and a leader. Um, so I think his his heart's in the right place. And I don't think we should really be shitting on one of the the uh, more important guys to the future building with this team. I think um, I think. Deshaun Nix, he came out last game a little, but he has been my most disappointing player thus far because of the way he was. It's not his fault, but uh, all these leaks from the front office about they see him as a top 10 lotto pick too. They see him as a this guy too. It's just, and, and he came out a little flat and a little lost looking to me um, and a little same energy as uh, as as Jacob with, with the ball in his hands. It seems like pass is a third option in his mind. 
Um, yeah, he's one of those guys that I watch and I'm just like, what are you really good at? Like, what's your good NBA skill? Yes, I see a lot of tantalizing potential good NBA skills, but none of them are all the way there yet with him. Um, and it can be a little frustrating at times for me. But again, I say disappointing. I, I don't mean it as in he looks like god awful or anything. It's just uh, I expected a lot out of him coming into summer league, and uh, have yet to to see that materialize fully. I'll tell you what I love about Josh Christopher is that when I look up stats on ESPN, it truncates his name to Jay Christ. And it makes me laugh. Just a little <laughs> chuckle every single time. <laughs> me too. We've we've long uh, off camera referred to him as J. Dot Christ. So that's funny that you should say that. <laughs> I, I think I think um, you know David bringing up Josh Christopher here is pretty interesting because he he's he's been largely good in summer league. I, I know he wasn't your guy for most disappointing, but a lot of people, like you said, have been really frustrated with him. And I think a lot of it stems from that first game where everyone was excited to see Jabari versus Paolo and Jabari just like touched the ball twice in the first two quarters. I feel like people that are very prisoner of the moment, would say the most disappointing player for the Rockets was Jabari Smith jr. Just because they expected such huge things. Um, he really put it together the last summer league game. And, you know, it's also a summer league, you know, it's okay for there to be nerves in summer league. And he's also the type of player that I think will benefit from having like actual NBA players around him. Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he, he's not he's, a self creator. Yeah. Yeah. Jabari Smith Jr. Like as a third, third option on the offense. And that's not like a slight to him at all. Like it's like he could be incredible in that position more than anybody in the lottery, especially the top five Jabari Smith Jr. is really should be judged by what he does in the regular season of the run. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Most everybody here, none of this, this is middle school, you know, none of this fucking matters for your <laughs> transcripts. So yeah, it's yeah. to get the time to get the mistakes out, the kinks out. So I do think that Josh Christopher as the veteran of this group could have shown a little bit more initiative towards getting uh, the teammates involved and, and not just trying to be fucking James Harden. But I personally like the Arizona state guard energy from him. Uh, I, I look forward to the regular season when it's clearly established. Here's your role, Josh, go eat. And, and he comes out there with that energy. So I, I don't want him to think twice personally. I don't want him to feel guilty and I'm not going to pile on for summer league uh, uh, over handling of the ball, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think some people overlook the fact that he's competing with like four other guys for a role. Very you know, and I, I'm sure he he came out saying, I have to prove myself. And I, I, I want to go back to Jawari Smith just for a minute because uh, Eric said, you know, he's a dependent talent. David, you said that he's probably more of a third option. I think the people who are frustrated with Jabari Smith Jr. probably didn't have a good understanding of what his skill set was coming in. Well, because I, I, knew, I knew before they played the first game, Jabari Smith Jr. is not going to look good in summer league because... One, like you said, right now he is a dependent talent. There, there are certain ways he can get his own shot, you know, like two dribble pull jumpers. Uh, he showed some interesting flashes in the post. But I, he's kind of got that, you know, young KG can just like shoot over a guy from mid-range. But I, I mean, he's just, he's not a guy right now that is going to go get his own on a high level. And he's going to need organization around him. He's And, you know, going to summer league, these guys have like three days of practice. 
they're not, there's not really an offense to speak of. And, you know, guys like Josh Christopher, you know, they're trying to prove themselves. So, you know, none of that's really surprising. I think even given all of that, he's still shown really, really impressive high-end defensive flashes. Big time. And offensive. Uh, well, honestly. Yeah. Especially last game. Um, and, and again, with competent guards, like David said, like he's getting get it fed the ball in his spots, and it's not going to be uh, – it's not going to be so – I'm fighting for my life here. It's going to be, here's my job. I'm going to do it for the team. And, and it's going to be a lot more of a set action to get Jabari the ball. I feel like, um, and, and I don't know, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be fine, everybody. And you can also see how he asserted himself last game and started to kind of demand it, uh, which is another good thing to see from him because his energy is a, uh, not meek, I guess, coming into the league, but it wasn't as assertive and mean as it seems to be now. He seems to have taken control of the summer league group, defensively especially, which is really cool to see. Yeah. For the same reasons that, that Paolo looks so good in the summer league are the same reasons why I think he's not a great fit on the Rockets with like Jalen Green, KPJ. Like the fact that he's going to want to take control like that, like you, you guys got Jalen Green, you're going to want him to be doing that as much as possible. Um, Jabari Smith Jr. J would like to argue. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I mean, we'll see how that goes. I'm probably, I I have high hopes for it. I love KBJ. I think he's going to, I don't know. I personally feel that the influence of a nice, wonderful young woman in a man's life can go a long way. And uh, it seems to me that the pendulum has swung that way for Mr. KPJ. He seems seems really happy. And, uh, they seem really happy and he seems like, I don't know, he's, he's got his head on focused on the right things. And I'm looking forward to seeing KPJ this year. So, so I think we can, uh, we can move on up to Dallas. Um, <laughs> yeah. So David, who has been your most surprising summer league prospect for the Dallas Mavericks? And obviously it's AJ Lawson, right? I don't really have much to talk about when it comes to Dallas summer league. Um, I was, go- I was guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going in, Looking at Jaden Hardy, um, and he gave us two games to explain exactly why he was the number two prospect out of high school and exactly why he dropped to number 37 in the draft, you know? <laughs> well, first game, amazing. Six turnovers, that's bad. Scored his ass off, though. Everybody was talking about, like, oh, my God, what a steal. And then he starts the next game off, like, 0 for 9. He shot, like, 8% from the field, you know? But hopes for him. He's a raw talent. He is going to take some work, but if they can edit down his game. So like you were saying with in the in the summer league with Josh Christopher, he's going out there trying to prove himself, trying to earn his spot. I feel like that's what it's like joining the G League Ignite, right? Which I think is also a reason why he kind of struggled a bit and was just like, be, he was being a George Costanza out there, you know, he's a real chucker, you know? <laughs> so... I mean, I hope that he's coachable because if he's coachable, he has the skill set to be a very good contributor on the team. Not everybody's coachable. Not everybody edits down their game. Uh, I have high hopes, but AJ Lawson has just looked fantastic. Deadly three-point shooter all over the court, contributing, super efficient. I feel like we're at a point now where he should already get his two-way contract. I feel like he's the guy. So yeah, not much to say about the Mavs Summer League. Most impressive player, AJ Lawson. Most disappointing player has to be Jaden Hardy because I honestly don't know who the other guys are. 
Well, <laughs> um, but Jaden Hardy those two has a chance to stick, I guess. Huh? So I guess who else besides those two has a real chance to stick? So I don't like I don't, there's a that kind of makes sense. I don't really think anyone. I mean, we have one two two way contract to go, and I feel like it's going to AJ AJ Lawson. It has to. And then and then Jaden Hardy's gonna be on the team. Oh. And then we're gonna oh. try to coach him. There's really not much to say about the Mavs Summer League. I've been I've been enjoying watching it. AJ Lawson's been a good surprise. Yeah, Hardy's interesting. Dallas has been uh, outside of the Luka pick and the Brunson pick. They've been such a terrible drafting franchise for as long as I can remember. So I guess I could see why as a Mavs fan, you're kind of disengaged from this side of things because it's always sort of here and now. Even at the end of Dirk's career, it it felt like the, the organization had a really tough time with that sort of shift in timber. So I, I don't know. I, just as a Mavs fan, how, how much emphasis do you even put on draft picks at this point when you have a talent like Luka Doncic? So even back in like the the like mid Dirk days, there hasn't been a lot of emphasis on the draft. I mean, there's been a lot of swings and misses and free agency. Other than Luka, really haven't had a high draft pick in a while. I mean, love to bring him his name back again. Josh Howard, loved that pick. Last pick in the first round. Crushed the weekly it. Josh Howard yeah. mention. Yeah. Biggest Josh Howard fan in the world. Marquise Daniels, too. Uh, I remember getting really, really excited for the Pops Mensa Bonsu draft pick back in oh. like 2005. He won MVP of the, it was the D League at the time. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to be amazing. I don't think he ever saw a minute in the NBA. I'm sure. <laughs> I remember a couple garbage time minutes, I feel like. Yeah. Pops. So there's, I mean, the Mavs really eat elsewhere, though. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith, undrafted player, a bunch of players that I watched them play for a couple of years and think, what the hell are they doing on the team? Like, why is he getting this many minutes? I don't understand it. And then it suddenly you watch them develop into the player that they always saw and I didn't, and I just, I just give it up to the organization, you know? No, that's fair. I wouldn't call them bad at player evaluation in spite of the bad drafts, because you're right. They have really filled out their roster with scrap heap parts that Mm -hmm. turned into good contributing pieces. Mm -hmm. But I'm I yeah, Mavs Summer League, I I couldn't. All I know is I've watched some Jaden Hardy really nice highlights. And then I've watched Jaden Hardy start 0 for 9. And oh, I was yeah. like, oh, God, yeah, he's second round. It makes sense. Like, but I think I see what they see. I don't know that I would really realistically as a Mavs fan be excited for him to contribute this year immediately. No. no. I know a, a lot of hardcore Mavs fans are going to be like, oh, Jalen Brunson left. Hardy's going to fill that role right away. I hope not. I, you know what I, mean? <laughs> I, I hope they don't try to ready. force him into that role. Um, but the ceiling is incredibly high for the draft spot that we got him in. Well put. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I love the pick. Hoping for the best. Yeah. He, he won't, Fair enough. It won't matter much when the regular season starts, anyways. What what happened in old Mavs summer league in all likelihood? So um bring on the guess, Spurs. Bring on the Spurs, baby. I guess for the Spurs, this is a tough one because their lottery pick ended up missing all of summer league, uh, got COVID, had a hamstring thing. So no Jeremy Sohan. He's talking so some I guess, fantastic shit on the sidelines, though, man. I love it. Oh, my God. Ty Ty, they're not going to pass it to you. <laughs> and that shirt was fire, man. I love that whole outfit he was rocking. I got to say. Dude, he's already the best dressed dude in the NBA. I love Jeremy Sohan. I don't know. I don't know if he, he's going to be able to shoot the ball. 
I don't know. I, I don't know anything about him, but I know that he has an awesome accent and he's fucking funny and he can dress well. Cisco <laughs> hair, man. <laughs> With Cisco mm. hair. It's like if a player was created in Greg Popovich's laboratory, like you got this Dennis Rodman looking guy with just a worldly sense of fashion. I don't know how to explain it, but he's also like a zoomer. I don't know, man. I, yeah, but I, I, I am bummed out that we didn't get to see him play. Yeah. Yeah. Primo too. So I can't really list him as my most disappointing player either, even though he did kind of have a stinker in game two. I think we saw a lot of um, issues with him being able to create space off the dribble. Um, I don't think anyone expected him to be a blow by a guy coming into the NBA, but just his ability to his lack of ability rather to beat his man off the dribble kind of hinders some of those um, hopes for him being a, a primary initiator in the NBA. Uh, but on the other hand, in game one, like he, he lit it up. He shot the ball extremely well from three, made some incredible passes. Um, but I just don't know how much to read in the summer league on these things. So I guess if I had to pick someone as my most disappointing player, I'm going to go with Malachi Branham simply because, you know, he, he hasn't had the opportunity as a, as a primary creator that I think he'll, he's going to thrive with eventually, or that's going to be his skill set in the NBA is running pick and rolls, ISOing, you know, kind of getting in that 18 to 10 foot range, but also spotting up at a high level. Um, so what, what did you take from watching Malachi last night against the Rockets, Eric? Last night against the Rockets, I thought he looked a lot more comfortable than he had. But I still I I agree with the disappointment ranking. I don't know, but maybe I was just overhyping. He's so so young, and he's it's his first time around, and everybody's kind of got jitters and comes along at a different pace. But I, I feel like I did kind of see a couple possessions last night where it clicked for him. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's gonna last long. His uh, kind of lost lookingness out there. No, he seems like a fairly confident kid. I just watching him in summer league makes me wonder what to expect from him uh, going into the season. I, I don't think he's going to be a G league guy too much. I think there's going to be some opportunity for him playing on the main roster in San Antonio, but you, you look at his game and so much of it is running pick and roll uh, using his sort of herky jerkiness to get to his spots, make tough shots. Um, he has, a really advanced self-creation set skill set, but I, I watch it and I'm like, okay, well, when he starts going against higher level NBA athletes, higher level NBA defenders, guys who are more athletic than him, I, I just, I'm not sure if that stuff's going to fly in the NBA. I can kind of see that because it's having, tr he's having trouble with it, even in the summer league. Like, it seems like there's, it's only going to get harder from here, basically. So uh, I would, I would find those concerns founded, but I also, again, think he'd benefit from a more competent roster around him with those screens and the movement off of those screens as well. Um, so uh, maybe it's one of those situations too, where he, it, same, we were talking about needing competent guards for Jabari earlier. This is a needing competent bigs kind of situation for him. Um, but I, I don't know, man, it, it's, it's still too early to tell. He still looks too kind of jittery for me to tell, uh, like he's still getting his feet set, but I, uh, I think those concerns are pretty founded for sure. But right. Even if it takes him three quarters of a season to get rid of those jitters, the Spurs are going to be like 
fantastic. You know what I mean? Like this they're not trying to win for sure. right now. Oh. And they, you know, I, I believe when he got drafted as much as I am the opposite of a Spurs fan, that he was the steal of the draft. It, it filled me with fury, but I was like, fury. Damn, I was like, damn it. That was a really good pick. <laughs> and I still feel that way. Despite I do too. whatever struggles he has, they're going to play him. They're going to play him in the season. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. And he seems and that's, not- that's not to say he hasn't shown some pretty high in flashes because some of the self-creation work stuff has worked and it has looked really good. Yep. But running the same of some of the same walls that guys like DeMar DeRozan have in the NBA were like, you know, if you're not a good defender, if you're just a spotted guy because the isolation stuff's not working well, then you're just kind of like a bigger Brent Forbes. You know, that's not a super valuable guy to have in the NBA, but a lot is just going to depend on his ability to get stronger and quicker and really utilize that skill set to the best of his advantage. Exactly. And, and figure out the area where he is deficient. And if it, if he's not going to be able to slide into the role he thought of immediately, or would be ideal that he needs to figure out what the fuck to work on and actually work on it. That's how you avoid becoming Bryn Forbes or DeMar DeRozan too, is <laughs> get to work. Like you know, go practice your fucking defense as much as you practice your three point shooting. That's kind of, I don't know. I don't, it sounds simple. I don't know. I'm not a professional athlete, but it kind of seems like the amount of work you put into something typically impacts the result yielded from said something in, in most walks of life, but I don't, maybe I'm wrong. Some guys are just undersized and that sucks. Like, sorry, Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> I mean, yeah. undersized guy, that guy did pretty good. Hell yeah. There. Man, the Celtics did him dirty. They really, really <laughs> fucked Isaiah Thomas. And I got yeah, the fact that Danny H keeps getting jobs and like landing agents and shit just kind of blows my mind because if I were the rest of the players union, I would just be like, nah, fuck that guy. He's on a list. Mm-hmm. But then you look at what he got for Rudy Gobert and it's nuts. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that guy. Okay. So my most surprising player for summer league, I guess I'd have to go with Blake Wesley. Has he been particularly efficient? No. Has he made good decisions consistently? No, but He's shown some really high-end flashes. He's got probably the most athleticism of anyone on the team now that Lonnie Wallach is not around. Like, he gets to the rim in a snap. He's got those long kind of Giannis strides, but in a, you know, 6'4 body. He's thrown some really, really eye-catching passes. Around the same passes and stuff, too. Yeah, like really. Yeah, like wraparound you know, skip passes, all, all sorts of just crazy shit. And the three ball is gone, mm-hmm. which was one of the big swing skills for him. Is, is he going to be able to have guys commit to him from beyond the arc? And through three games, it's looked pretty good. So, like I said, it hasn't all been rosy, but he's shown me enough to make me think that he should probably seriously figure into the Spurs' long-term developmental plans. I agree with that entirely myself. Um, and yeah, some of those passes, uh, he's the one who did the, he pump faked and then in- waited for him to come down so he could intentionally nutbag the defender. Right. That was, I think that was him that threw that pass last night. Right. Like, Oh, that was just, just beautiful. I loved it. Um, I, I've enjoyed watching his, uh, his playmaking blossom, but I, I agree. It's not all rosy, but I'll, he's a young guard, man. And none of this fucking matter. A young guard playing with other young players in summer league. So there's always going to be these kind of road bumps along the process uh, as far as the turnovers and silly, silly shots go. But 
I like the way he's coming out confident and, and there's a lot more good than bad. I, I don't know. He, you can see some definite, definite areas uh, where some skill growth is going to have to happen. He's going to have to work on his pacing a lot because right now it's just downhill, you know, pedal to the metal every time he's going to the rim. There's no stop and start. There's not a whole lot of court awareness all the time in terms of where his defender is. Um, but man, I don't know. I think those are, those are wrinkles that can really easily be ironed out. I'm, I'm pretty excited about Blake Wesley. I would be too. So, yeah, I think, I think that just about does it for uh, summer league in Texas. So what's going on with the rest of the league? So who has stood out to you guys just, you know, kind of watching other teams play? I'll go with uh, David first. You know, obviously the big talk is Chet. The obvious take is he needs to put on muscle. Uh, Kenny Lofton Jr. I don't know why you need to say that. Lofton Jr. bullied him a little bit, but nobody else, nobody came into the summer league thinking like, no, he has the exact right amount of muscle. You know know what I mean? It's obvious. I mean, his, his biceps are concave, but you, you look at him. He's he's been like the aliens in that Charlie (laughs) Sheen alien movie from like 1995. What was that called? The arrival. I know know exactly what you're talking about. It's called the arrival. It's fantastic. You guys should all watch the arrival. This episode is brought to you by Columbia pictures, the arrival actually. But, but the dude has played with Supreme confidence. He's, been blocking shots like a monster despite his size he's got great defensive skills he's been shooting the ball really well if if there's one thing that teams can universally do it's get them with a nutritionist and put some muscle on them so i would be very thrilled about Chet. really i mean obviously unless he decides no i don't need to gain weight and muscle i don't see what the problem is i i feel like he also knows that. That's so since I, since I'm already married, since I'm already married, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Does he really need to add weight? I think I think adding strength and adding muscle are two different things. And Chet Holmgren, he has so much dexterity. He's so flexible. Like you watch him out there, and he doesn't really turn into the you know crushed up pile of Cheetos that you think he would. You know, <laughs> when a guy like Kenny Lofton Jr. goes into him, and I just I think he has. A lot of scrappiness about him. He has an attitude. And I think, you know, when you're that tall, adding weight is never necessarily a good idea. I agree in most cases, but I think he's in a really extreme case where like you gotta you gotta put a little something on those bones, I think, man. It's just scary out there. Like picturing what's gonna happen the second he goes against Joel Embiid is just like Oh no, dude. Like I, I think he might turn into a bag of crushed Cheetos in that case there. Um, so I, I do think that there's a little progress to be made there, but I also am, am more inclined to agree. Like there's, you want to keep him lean and you want to keep him mobile because what his mobility and the way he's able to get out and block shots on the perimeter, um, yep. even the giant uh, are, it's just part of what makes him so, so special. Yeah. Uh, and so, I think of him as a big man. I think too many people are looking at him as more of a traditional big man. And when I look at him, I think of guys like Kevin Durant and Giannis, where like so much of what makes them special is their ability to move around. And I, I, I think that's the same thing with Chet. And I'm just not really worried about anyone posting up. I mean, if you if you look at the NBA finals, post up post ups were some of the least preferred play types to go to. I mean, even when 
guys had severe mismatches in the post. They were just going away from it because it's really not that efficient of a way to run offense anymore. He does need to gain muscle, but everybody knew that. And I would much rather try to put muscle on a guy and say, you know, eat a bunch of calories and lift some weights than try to convince Markel Fultz he can still shoot again. You know, like, yeah, no, that makes yeah. Sense. I mean, the guy, the guy has his game. And I don't think anybody's going to ask him to go down there and guard and beat in the post. You know, I you know, like as far as our rookie year, as far as rebuilding, I like the prospect. I really like what I'm seeing. Does, does he really does, get does, add weight? Um, unless you can improve his handles enough and get him to play small forward like Kevin Durant, then yeah, he does. He needs but to Kevin Durant's this. not really even a small forward anymore. He, he plays the four, the four, even five in playoff situations. So Sure. I mean, situationally, yeah. Kevin Durant's like a strong skinny though, you know, and I don't know if it comes from like actual man strength or if it comes from just grizzled old wisdom in the NBA, but Durant knows what he's doing with his body. I still don't think Kevin Durant can bench press 135 pounds. You know, I mean, he couldn't do it once the combine. I don't think he's improved on that, but he knows the game and he knows his body. Chet's coming into it brand new. He's got, concave biceps he's probably i don't know he could probably squat the bar but (laughs) he if there's any era to come in that skinny it's this era right i think he he needs to get stronger i don't think he needs to necessarily have one of those white howard transformations or one of those Giannis atentacumpo transformations where they came in this tiny little guy and then just became a freaking adonis with shoulders that I could only dream of. <laughs> he definitely needs to gain some strength. He needs to, I mean, he's working with, he's going to be working with a team who has strength and conditioning coaches and nutritionists that that's their job. You know, he doesn't have to think about it too much. He just yeah. has to listen to it. And he's, if he's, he's and do the workout regimen, right, right, tell him. Right. If he's yeah. unwilling to gain the weight, that could be a problem. But I'm sure that he is aware of how undersized he is for the nba as far as strength goes and he'll work on it as much as he feels like he needs to without it impeding on his like shot motion chain is what i heard him call it but um, i think he looks pretty good honestly he looks pretty fucking ready yeah like uh, uh, he hasn't faced any real giants and he hasn't faced any i know there's a lot of teams that are kind of zigging when everybody else is zagging and doing the twin towers ish kind of vibes these days are going a little bit bigger like trying to go positionless but with big guys um and uh i I think that those kind of matchups could run run a problem obvious and and everybody's like what's he gonna do against Jokic? what's he gonna do against Embiid? and like you guys said he's not necessarily going to be guarding those guys directly or up against those guys there's a lot of situations where you can hide him away from those guys um but even if so what the fuck does anybody do against Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic? Like, that's just how they're, they're just too good. Like that's a really unreasonable bar to set for a 19 year old kid to say, well, what are you going to do when you're guarding Joel Embiid? Kid? <laughs> I was like, that's just a silly analysis to me. Like I, I, I do think it's problematic that guys like Lofton are able to go in there and so confidently bully him around, but 
I think that schematics can play a big role in that as well. And that you can get him out of those situations most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that wasn't a summer league a game, they would have switched him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. And he did play against a giant in Taco Fall, but Taco Fall can barely walk. Yes. You know, I mean, so it was a little easier. Coordinated fella, yeah, yeah that dude say. moves in slow motion <laughs> as huge as he is. But no, I, I yeah, Chet, Chet has definitely looked looked every bit the number two pick. I see why OKC was so zeroed in and enamored on him for sure. Yep. So, uh, Eric, who's been your standout prospect from around the league? Uh, probably Jalen Duran. I think he's been really nice and, and ready to go, and more so than I expected. Uh, I don't know, just nice bursts, nice, just looks really ready to fit in on that Pistons roster to me. Yeah, yeah, I really like him. I really liked him going into the draft. Uh, it seemed like he was going to be the guy that the Spurs were going to take exactly. based on some reporting from you know people who were Stein or Woj or Sham. So I guess that's what we get, but... Swung and missed. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I mean, I, I still like him, and I think all the things that I liked about him prior to the draft are really showing in summer league. I think when you have that kind of size and athleticism and motor, you're going to stand out in the summer league regardless. But, you know, it's just, what is he, 6'10", 6'11"? Yep. He's built like a goddamn Terminator. He can jump out of the gym. Yep, fast. It's fast. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much to like about him. Um, and, you know, a lot of us, including myself, made a lot of his lack of offensive ability outside of, you know, catching lobs, dunking, putbacks. And really for a team like the Pistons, that doesn't matter. Like, when do you ever want your center to dribble the ball or hold the ball for more than three seconds if you have Jaden Ivey and Kate Cunningham? Exactly. So all you're going to want him to do is roll and catch lobs and get putbacks. Yep. So who cares if he can fucking shoot a hook shot? <laughs> or even shoot a mid-range jump shot. You don't want him to do that stuff anyways, and you would make fun of him if he did that stuff. So he's doing exactly what you want a modern center to do, and people are still kind of critiquing his skill set. That just doesn't add up to me. I'm like, what do you want? Plus, who's the, who's the most iconic Pistons center from 2004? She, ben, ben Wallace. Ben Wallace. I know. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, she was a bad yeah. motherfucker. That dude hit a full-court shot to save a playoff series. You know what I mean? <laughs> that guy's amazing. And he could shoot with both hands. He would go up with his right hand, and if you go to block it, he just switched to his left hand and throw it in. The guy was amazing. But Ben Wallace was, oh God, I love that that piston scene that destroyed the Lakers after they got a late addition, Gary Payton and Carl Malone. Oh, yeah. It, it just destroyed him in five games. Just watching Ben Wallace do work down there. God, I loved it so much. But, yeah, I mean, Jalen Duran, I've been very impressed with. I think, you know, the more he gets comfortable, the more I think he's going to be in there blocking shots. He's been, you know, big man in it. He's been scoring a decent amount of points, mm-hmm. getting rebounds, and, you know, doing exactly what they need him to do for that team. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be watching Pistons games this season to see if he's kind of catching on the defensive schemes and things like that because he's he's got the ability to be an outstanding defense player. Agreed. I think he's got the size to handle bigger guys, and he's got – you know, maybe not like Bam out of bio level switchability, but that's here below that, which is really good for a starting center. I think the Pistons are going to get a ton of value out of him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, he was a steal for sure. Exactly. I was texting yeah. Eric during the entire draft and for like five or six picks. I was like, this has to be Durant. This has to be Durant. 
Nope. <laughs> that was wild, man. The Pistons, they, they snuck in and got him. But that's that's going to be a really fun team to watch this year. I'm glad they're yep. out each. And that we don't have to see them four times each. So they feel like they're going to be, by the end of the season, kind of a nightmare to play. Yep. So we got Duran, we got Chet. Those are both, I feel like, pretty obvious. What are, What about you, John? What are you What are you seeing? What do you What do you feel as the uh, the breakout player for the rest of the league for you? Man, there were a few different directions I wanted to go. I wanted to say Jalen Williams Ooh. with Oklahoma City, but I think I'm gonna have to go with Keegan Murray. Which Jalen Williams? Though? Yeah, which one? J Dub or Will? The uh, the lottery pick, Jalen Williams. Uh, okay okay we don't see yeah. neither of us we talk that big shit and neither of us know whether that's j-dub or jay yeah, i don't know which one it is <laughs> i know he's got like a nine foot wingspan or whatever <laughs> they talk about that a lot but i know which Jalen williams you're speaking of and how awesome he has looked for sure mm-hmm. but that's not even where we landed so you said keegan murray and that's yeah fuck yeah yeah i think we made a lot about keegan murray's age before he was drafted because he's 22 Probably going to turn 23 at some point this NBA season. So he's washed up. Um, so old. <laughs> so old. But he just knows how to play basketball. He, he's cold-blooded. He looks so much more advanced than everyone out on the court. Even like second and third year NBA players. He just, he has so much more feel and just IQ on both sides of the floor. All that college experience, you know, it just, it, it's going to bolster him going into his rookie season. And I don't think that necessarily limits his ceiling. Like, yes, you have maybe a couple less years as a franchise to work on him developmentally, but you've got such a high land launching spot. And, you know, if you look at the way he improved the year before last this year, uh, it was monumental. And I don't think there's any reason that a guy with his work ethic and his IQ can't become even better, you know, Lots of lots of guys who ended up great careers were drafted at a later age. You okay? <laughs> the decision to take Murray over Ivy, brilliant move for a win now mentality. But I don't know where Sacramento gets off thinking that they're a win now team. See, I don't know, man. The more I look at this roster, the more I'm kind of like, I, I don't know, man. I kind of fucks with the confidence, man. I, I kind of like the Sacramento overconfidence here with Sabonis and 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 uh, I and, love Sabonis and I Fox so. and now Ivy and uh, it's just uh, just seems really interesting. Like I I could see this maybe being a better team than we're all kind of snickering at in the corner. I would but, love for them to prove me wrong. I like a lot of their players. I. Davian Mitchell. Davian yeah. Mitchell. People were talking about, oh, but he's not like a like a premium guard or whatever. I love his game, man. And even coming off the bench, whatever. I think he's a he would be a he would be a, a desired piece for any winning team. You know yeah, what definitely. I mean? And I feel like later in his career, he's gonna be one of those guys that everybody seeks out to try to get on their team. Like, you know, like PG Tucker, PJ Tucker type. Yep. Um Oh, PG Tucker, PG, PG Tucker. <laughs> He's going to be like a guard version of PG Tucker. But uh, I think that I love I love his game. I love De'Aaron Fox. I love Sabonis, but I just don't think they're a win now team. I, I'd love for them to prove me wrong, but I see them uh, possibly trying to get in a play in game. But if you're the Kings, you just saw Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. Galvanize an entire city making the play in. Like maybe that's kind of what they're eyeing. Like maybe that's would be okay with them if they were ready to be, if, if we make the play in or we make squeak into the playoffs via the play in 
that's kind of maybe the kind of win now move the Kings are talking about just to give the fan base some kind of bone. I, yeah, I don't know, but are they trying to keep the team in that city? Yeah, like, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe there's some kind of like playoff clause in the city council of Sacramento or something, but I I, I'm with you. It does seem like a low ceiling team, but I still, I appreciate the energy they're coming into this season with. And, and I think that, for the first time in a long time, this is a Kings roster that could maybe overperform instead of everybody is kind of like, come on. I, I just overperforming think- for Kings, which is what making this a play in a play in. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I don't think they're in actual win now mode. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like join the Vivix staff or anything like that. But I, I do think that as far as teams go in the rest of the league, the Kings are one that I'm kind of side eyeing just with a, with a fun curiosity, I guess. And I, I appreciate their weird energy going into this season. And I don't mean to harp on what I said last time, but trading a first round pick for Herder, it's just, it's I mean, so that weird. I just don't get it. Even if you take Murray over Ivy and think you're trying to get in that play play in game, like, are they trying to pull a Hawks and go into the Western Conference Finals trying to pull a Mavs? You know what I mean? Like, I don't see it. I don't see, I don't see it happening. But even so, I don't think Herter, like, as much as I like Herter as a player, but a first round pick for Herter trying to, like, push, like, if you're trying to push yourself over a hump and you're giving up picks, I mean, Kyle Broflowski is the last person I'm thinking of, you know? <laughs> He's a good player, but he's just not, I don't get it. I don't get it. No, I, I, that was a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah. The, the herder move was a bit of a head scratcher. I agree, but still, I don't know. I have the Pistons and I have the Kings as my two, like, Hmm, I'm curious about these guys teams this year. And I I just, it's mostly like a watching a car accident out your window from the safety of your own vehicle type type thing with the Kings, I think, but I also could see something going their way. I don't know. I don't think they're a joke. I like I like their pieces. Yeah. I like a lot of pieces, but I like their pieces specifically. Yeah. And too. yeah, I mean, I think Keegan Murray's ready to go right out of the box. I think they've got some fit issues that are kind of funky. I don't love the fit of Murray and Sabonis, even though they're really both extremely high IQ players. They'll probably play well off of each other offensively. Kind of worry about you know, just having the juice and the mobility defensively with those guys. But uh, I don't know. I mean, back to the whole point of the segment is I think Keegan Murray is definitely going to just help the Kings team right out of the box. And, um, you know, they're going to hang their uh, banner that says made the play in once and everything will be great in Sacramento. And they, they will hang that banner. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I guess we can go, um, Look at some news and notes from around the NBA. What's going on? What what stood out to you guys? Uh, I guess the biggest thing would be the Donovan Mitchell news today. Uh, Woj officially broke that uh, the Jazz are actually listening to offers for him. We've kind of all known this all along, uh, but it it became officially official today, it seems like. Um, The Knicks instantly got named as a a destination. I know there were a couple other places, but I I don't know, man. What do do you guys think about this Donovan Mitchell thing? Where do you guys think he ends up? Does he end up anywhere? Do they rebuild around him? Is he overrated, underrated in the whole, you know, NBA uh, hierarchy right now? What, what, what's you guys take on this? Everybody wants to talk about how Donovan Mitchell doesn't really play defense. 
Then he does I, I cannot argue with him, but he took, you know, he got drafted by the Jazz and immediately playoff contenders. You know what I mean? Maybe not very serious, but the second, I mean, like people weren't talking about him in that draft, like really at all that much. And he immediately went and made a difference. I think he's a great player. I think that if any team's going to get him, it's going to be the Heat because the Heat are going after Kevin Durant really hard. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Durant literally won a country for him. And <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's going it to, uh, Kevin Durant's probably going to play for the Nets next year. Like, that's my opinion, because if that's what the Nets asking price is, Anthony Towns, Ant-Man, and 32 first round picks. It's, <laughs> I just I just don't see it translating to anybody really doing that deal. But Donovan, it's got to be posturing from them. There's no way. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, that's very possible too. I feel um, like the uh, Dejounte trade and the Rudy Gobert trade set such crazy high bars for returns that they are not wanting to be outdone by either one of those. And I feel like that they're waiting for one offer that's better than either one of those two trades, just so they can save face. <laughs> Danny H doesn't want to get outdone by himself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody might have been more upset about the Rudy Gobert news than the Nets front office. They're You're probably like, right. Geez, probably what right. do we do now? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but I, if anywhere I see him landing with the Heat, I really don't know. But I think he. What, what's the package they get returned? Yeah, there's nothing. I mean, they could match salaries, but none of those players are good enough to get back without moving off of well, Jimmy. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. The Heat have some white guys, and Daddy Age wants them. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> that was the whole point of this rebuild. So he gets those true. white fellas uh-huh. from Miami. Uh-huh. Give me a first round pick and Tyler Hero, and give me Tyler <laughs> Duncan. <laughs> Tyler Duncan, three first round picks. We'll call it a day. If it's Miami over. can somehow get rid of Duncan Robinson and make another team happy about it. Can we get, can we get Detroit in on this? Can we get Kelly Olenek to Utah to you? Dude, that would just really set. Oh man. Danny Ainge should be. Now listen, Kelly Olenek's coming to the Mavs, in the utility right? closet. Yeah. Do you <laughs> think, do you think, do you think Mark Cuban puts his wall through a fist if Danny Ainge gets all these white guys? <laughs> It's definitely an arms race. Danny Ainge and Mark Cuban are just trying mm-hmm. to outdo each other with white roster spots. Yeah. <laughs> However, I mean, Cuban's not really into the American whites. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah. No, yeah. I don't know. He took Chandler. Love Chandler. He took Chandler Parsons to the club, dude. Took all kinds of little selfies with him. Uh, it, it was a whole thing signing Chandler Parsons, man. Yeah. I think he was more excited because he was an American white. Maybe I don't know. I think he <laughs> Chandler Parsons was just a smoke show. You know what I mean? I feel like that's what really got Mark Cuban going. Oh, boy toy action, right? <laughs> oh, speaking of summer league players that I'm into. Speaking of white Europeans, I've I've only seen. One game that I really liked, but Jovic, I really like that one game. Oh, yeah. I, I saw it with Jovic, too. Uh, and Jovic is another player that's surrounded by actual talent can be something pretty good. And mostly, I got into Jovic because I was like, oh, it sounds like Nikola Jokic. But, like, you know, I like his confidence. He's country and everything. <laughs> I like his confidence. And I like the ball. Yeah. What I, what I like about Serbians is facially, if they were Americans, they would look like they're from West Virginia. <laughs> They're like the hillbillies of Europe, I think. I was going to say, do you think that energy-wise, they're like hillbillies, yeah, complete rednecks of Europe, like sledding yeah, so. down mountains on trash can lids and shit or something? <laughs> they got the same surplus Toyotas as ISIS. <laughs> Still, that's going to be the greatest American scandal, or I guess it'd be Japanese in that case, but 
I feel like once the, once the curtains pulled back and everybody knows that Toyota's just been selling ISIS trucks out the back door completely openly, that's going to be fucking awesome. I can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> God, I love it. <laughs> USA. But yeah, I I don't even know where to go after all this tangent. You guys want to talk about wrestling? <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, The Donovan Mitchell thing is just curious to me because it's so late in the game now. Um, what potential do you guys see for like a sneaky team, like a Toronto or somebody, one of these teams that's trying to get into the Kevin Durant sweepstakes, but has a bunch of assets, but isn't necessarily on a preferred list. Uh, I personally think Donovan is more inclined to have a hard line. No, I don't want to go there slash. I won't play their list um, than Kevin Durant, but maybe that's just me kind of stereotyping from what I hear about Donovan Mitchell. I don't, I don't, I don't know that he has any kind of maturity issues necessarily, but he definitely seems like the kind of guy who's been given a franchise and would expect the same treatment and would want to pick yeah. the nation. And he just doesn't have the same leverage that Kevin Durant does. You know, Utah has a ton of flexibility. They don't have to trade him right now with Brooklyn. You know, it's, it's more dire of a situation, but, yeah, I don't know about Toronto. I'm, you know, just thinking in terms of value, I'm not giving up Scotty Barnes. Um, probably not giving up Siakam. I think they're probably in the same tier of players. So we're talking about what, like OG. I don't know if I'd want to give anything on top of OG. I just don't think the value is there for Toronto. That's a tough one. I like it. I like it theoretically, but I'm just not like I'm, I'm thinking about how that trade negotiation would go, and I just can't see. Masai being willing to give up to Danny Age what Danny Age is going to expect. Yeah, uh, Boston's interesting. Definitely, maybe maybe like a Jalen Brown for Mitchell spot, but then I don't know what that does for Utah. Maybe it's a third team. I don't know. Um, well, why do you get rid of Donovan Mitchell for Jalen Brown? See, I was just yeah, saying, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know why either team would really do that. And it makes more sense for Boston, I think, uh, just because they needed like uh, Donovan Mitchell has been outstanding offensively in the playoffs, and when Boston's offense kind of petered out at the end of the finals, I think a guy like Donovan Mitchell probably could have helped them get over the hump more so than Jalen Brown. But yeah, from the Utah side, I don't really, I don't, I don't really know what they would want. Jalen Brown for unless they were going to reroute him or there's going to be like a third team moved into the deal and Utah gets back a bunch of picks instead. And speaking on what we were talking about earlier, and I'm really, really bad for salary cap stuff, so I have no idea if that's even possible, but can Sacramento come in? If they're really trying to win now, can Sacramento come in and do anything for, for Don? I mean, they got yeah, a, I mean, they could, they could throw Barnes and a ton of picks. Barnes, Barnes Davion Mitchell. There. Yeah, I was gonna say it might take Mitchell or somebody though too, which I don't know the Sacramento that might that might be a non-starter for them. But, but if they're getting back Davion or Donovan Mitchell for see, it, they would yeah. be especially in win now mode. I feel like they might be willing to do that. They might. I could see Sacramento sneaking in. I guess. Yeah, that is actually kind of a good good sneaky candidate. Um, weird fit. And again, we're piling on players that we have defensive concerns about together now again. Um, but I could see Sacramento being willing to make some kind of weird move like that. And also, I was going to ask you guys how different this seems radically different from the Kevin Durant trade scenario in that uh, I feel like Ainge is going to be looking towards the future, wanting to bottom out 
wanting a huge return of picks for this instead yes. of necessarily getting back a Jalen Brown or somebody who can help you win now. Um, I think maybe he would be trying to talk to teams with younger talent that's still got a ways to go to develop. And, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of teams that Donovan Mitchell could end up on that maybe we're not thinking about that uh, try to over zealously swing net from a rebuild to a win now before they're ready. Um, but again, I think it all comes back to Donovan has earned a lot of stock with the jazz franchise. And I think he's going to more or less get to sign off on his destination. So uh, Sacramento, Toronto, all these other kind of lurking teams, I think could potentially get the veto from Donovan his camp as well. What about Dallas? They've been sniffing Kyrie. They've been trying to make a big splash move to make up mm-hmm. for Brunson. That, that's that's a known that's a known known, as Donald Rumsfeld would say. Sure. What do they give up though? I just don't see. There's not many picks to up. trade. Uh, uh, Hardy, whatever picks you have left, uh, I don't know. After the Porzingis, they'd have to be pretty far out in the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'd have to be unprotected. Yep. Which mm-hmm. is scary. Right especially considering the it's never permanent with a Luka Doncic type player these days anymore. Probably Hardy Hardaway Jr. Maybe. I don't even know. Would they even want Hardaway Jr. over there? They'd probably need him for sorry. Yeah. I mean, I just, I wouldn't want it as a Mavs fan. I mean, obviously I like, I like Mitchell, but I don't know. I just, the team overperformed so much last year. And yeah, we lost Brunson, Brunson, but we got back Hardaway Jr. We added we added Christian Wood. I want to see what happens. I don't feel like look, Brunson was a great player. All right. All right. Brunson, Brunson killed it last year. But I guess I'm just look, Hardaway Jr. has a great jump shot. I, this is all staying. I'm loving this so much. <laughs> Look, everyone's mad we lost Brunchen. <laughs> That's going to be the episode titled Jalen Brunchen. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was going to blow past it and I just saw your face. <laughs> I, I, was I was trying so hard not to laugh, dude. All right. So Luca had some comments recently where he said, I think the way he worded it was the off season's kind of just starting. Let's see if any other moves happen. And then a bunch of Mav stands are freaking out, but like, look, who's demanding a move. And it's like, Oh, I don't think that's what he's saying. What I think he, that he's saying is that moves allowed up until the trade deadline. You know what I mean? And mm. we can see what's going on this season. See how things work. If, if, you know, as of right now, where the math stand with their salary cap and with their pieces, their trade pieces, they're really not in the best position to be doing anything. We got to no. wait till other teams are having injuries or start, you know, having things that don't work out to where they get desperate. And then suddenly our pieces look a lot better. Our picks look a lot better, you know, or, or maybe, maybe the opposite, maybe, maybe Christian Wood comes in and, decides that he hates everything man you fucking beat me to it i was gonna get such a good christian wood dig in after you did all this whole little spiel maybe as soon as the deadline happens passes for when you can trade christian wood Mm -hmm. you look to make a move because he doesn't play defense but uh, and i don't know how happy he's gonna be coming off the bench according to reports 
I hope those reports are false because it's going to be ugly. I don't know, man. He pouted so hard. I definitely would prefer Dinwiddie coming off the bench, Hardaway starting, and Christian Wood starting just for whatever. Just but move Luca to the point. I like that too. I like Luca at the point, but I mean, I don't claim to know more than Jason Kidd. I want to see what what he's able to put forth, what he's able to convince the players to do, and see how it works before. I make any judgment and that's where we're at the Mavs. They overperformed last year. I don't feel like I'm in the place to question whatever it is they're doing. I questioned it last off season and I was like, Jason kid, I can't believe they hired him. I can't believe they're doing anything that they're doing and things worked out pretty well. So I want to see how things go, you know, come trade deadline. Other teams might be desperate. We might be desperate and we might have the pieces to move then. But as far as trying to get Mitchell now, I don't think it makes sense. I don't even think it makes sense for the Jazz to be trading Mitchell now. I mean, I, you know what? You could still bottom out with Mitchell as your roster. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I feel like Mitchell sans Gobert, if you move off of Clarkson and you move off of Bogdanovich, that's still a tank team. And then you can maybe build around Mitchell with a future young piece as well. He's still only 24, right? 24, 25? Well, 25. But uh... – it's just tough. The timeline's so off. And I, I know we fixate too much on timelines, but it reminds me of what happened with Indiana after Paul George broke his leg. And they kind of did that little rebuild thinking they could rebuild around Paul George because at the time he was still 25 years old and it didn't work out that way. And yeah, I don't know, man, the whole time David was talking, I was fixating on the, the idea that Christian Wood sounds like the title of a video you would come across on Pornhub. And it made me also think that maybe Danny Ainge will be into that kind of thing. So sounds like a like a predator on uh, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I can see uh, Danny Ainge and Gordon Hayward have definitely watched the Christian Wood saga together. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a couple times. Also, does yeah. FarmersOnly.com only call that because they can't make a site called WhitePeopleMeet.com? <laughs> I'm just, uh, I've thought about that. I I think that's a dog whistle for sure. Yeah. Farmers. This episode is brought to you by farmersonly.com, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) They all still a thing that had to have been a money laundering front or something, right? Like there's no way that was an actual business. They were trying to start, right? Nah, bro. If he can can lay pipe, you know what I mean? (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) But as far as Utah is concerned, if it was just the Gobert trade, I'd be like, yeah, they got a lot for him. They got a lot in the future. Mitchell's young enough. This isn't a rebuild, but trading Royce O'Neal for a first round pick, um, being one of Mitchell's favorite players. And so, you know, like, what are you? It definitely makes it seem like a rebuild, which is weird to be like Royce O'Neal over Gobert. That move makes it seem like a rebuild. But really, I mean, the go for what they got back for Gobert, it makes sense. And the fact that Gobert and Mitchell, ever since the COVID saga, ever since, ever since Gobert shut down America, they, 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 you know, they, you know, it just hasn't worked there. I could see them being like, look what we got for him. We got back another starting or another center from the draft who was an amazing shot blocker. And we got all these picks also. You can we rebuild. can package them yes. into another star to put with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels like Mitchell's gone and, and they're gonna just tear it down and break it, break, break it down. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I think all I think all of the uh you know jargon about being committed to Dave Donovan Mitchell was mostly just posturing from Danny Ainge because I think the, the wording of the Woj report was that other teams were telling him 
that Utah is accepting calls on Donovan Mitchell. So, yeah, I think, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's, you know, someone external trying to hurt their leverage and conversations because then Donovan Mitchell goes from off the table to, uh, yeah, we're taking calls on him. So I don't know. Um, it's a really strange situation. Did you guys see that the NBA has made the play in tournament a permanent part of its schedule moving forward? I did. I feel like it's going to piss a lot of players off, but I feel like us as fans are probably going to be generally in agreement that this is cool. Like I, I like to play in, I think it's fun. I didn't like the idea at first, but when I watch it in action, I liked it. As a fan of a treadmill team, which is what the Spurs have been over the last four years. I hated the play in because it incentivized the Spurs chasing the AC, which was the worst thing that could have happened to them over the last few years. I can see how as uh, you know, outside spectators that the playing game is entertaining, but going through it, I don't love it. I think it's going to set some franchises back, but the owners are going to make some extra revenue off of extra games and TV. So, you know, great. I think the fact that, it's going to set a few franchises back is kind of the fun part for me in that it's going to kind of separate the smart franchises from the ones who are just dumbasses who are happy chasing the middle. You know, like I think the ones that are going to have to really, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of fan bases that are a have been starved for so long, a play in victory or getting into the playoffs completely revitalizes everything. And B, there's going to be a lot of teams that we can all collectively be like, haha, check out the Knicks being the eight to 10 <laughs> seed again this year. In the East, you know, there's just going to be a bunch we can always dunk on for chasing the play in constantly and never making past it or realizing that you have to start bottoming out to get past that, anyways. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's good. It's going to piss off a lot of people for everybody saying, oh, it punishes the seven seed. Oh, no, no, no. I, you know what? Seven seed, go beat a team you should fucking beat that's two seeds beneath you one game and you it's over and it no longer punishes you for anything so go win one fucking game and you're good so uh i, I think it's kind of fun man i don't know and extra extra little sudden death vibe games to keep the first round of the playoffs kind of interesting for me i don't necessarily like the idea that a 37 and 45 team is going to be you know possibly the eight seed but i mean i mean pelicans feet wow <laughs> hey they're gonna uh, flip those two numbers next season just you I, watch I, I like new orleans but i mean the, like, your eight seeds aren't aren't always gonna be your uh your memphis versus the spurs you know or to not put the heat on you your golden state versus the mavericks you know what yep. i mean those are very rare and you're at least putting it some you're injecting excitement into the eighth seed which is almost impossible and in theory i don't like how the numbers work out but when i started watching the playoff the playing game i was like yeah i'm getting into this i like it it's just fun just He's, fun extra basketball for me I, I don't know i maybe i'm just i'm underthinking it but it's just it's just it's a fun little sideshow i guess before the uh, inevitable four to zero or five to one stomping of the one to eight seeds in the first round happens anyways so i i don't think it changes that much in the first round regardless of what team comes out on top most cases uh but it's still just an extra little bit of uh watching two really hungry it's like the uh 
the lightweight or the middleweight fight before the main event, I feel like, where it's just like, this is really entertaining. These guys are hungry as hell, and, and they're just going hard trying to win something that's maybe not as meaningful as what we're going to watch later on in the night. Yeah. You know that It's guy. like the Intercontinental <laughs> Championship. Yeah, so the Cruiserweight <laughs> title on WCW. Yeah. yeah. You know that guy's not going to win the title anytime soon, but he might get a really spectacular knockout. Yes. Yeah. And yep. that's worth watching. Agreed. And honestly, sometimes this is a little bit more fun than the title match later on. Yeah, I'll watch a North American Championship or TNT title match. I don't care. <laughs> See, I'm not quite there yet, man. I don't know. AEW has really, really lost me lately. I don't know. Uh, say what you want about it, but the Adam Cole versus Ricochet Amer North American title match. Yeah, it was fire. I loved it. Was it. It was no Rollins versus Rhodes in the Hell in a Cell, though, I got to say. Rollins versus Rhodes. <laughs> Rhodes. Oh my god, you got me yeah. on one too. All right. Hell in a cell. All right. Anything else we want to move want to hit before we move on? One last thing for me, we can we can call it a night, is I would like to thank Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal for uh yes. Good segment. committing committing to their dude. You know when Damian Lillard said he doesn't run from the grind or whatever it was he said, you know, he meant it. And I appreciate that. And as a fan of a small market team, I really like that you have some guys who are willing to commit. I mean, we'll see with Bradley Beal. He might've just done it for the money. He might demand a trade six months, who knows, but I believe Lillard at least. Can I get a clarification from y'all? So I saw two years, 122 million. This dude making $61 million a year? Like, how's that working out? I think it might be 63 in the second year or something crazy like that. I don't remember, but it's like, yeah. I didn't know that was possible, and I'm happy for him. Yes. Yeah, the uh, salary cap is expected to go up by 20%, right? Yeah, I think so. It was an extra 10 or an extra 9. Right. Or something. So, yeah, it's going to be like 19 per crazy percent jump next year. Uh, We're going to end up with Durant on the Warriors again. Exactly. That's what I was just gonna, I was just going to make that joke. Like, Hell yeah. Bring back Durant to the Go Warriors. to Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm completely want to echo that notion, man, because that's just so rare these days, especially uh, as cool as Portland is. It's one of the coolest cities in the country. Uh, it's it's got its moments where it's, you know, Portlandia is 100 percent accurate, but it's still a very cool place. And uh, it's nice to see a player commit to that area the way Dame has when he could very easily be like, send me to LA. Um, same. I, I also want to throw cat in that discussion as well. Uh, he's been languishing away in Minnesota for a long time and just signed a big five year super max with them to keep, to re up there. Uh, I don't know if the new regime is maybe looking to pivot off him ever. I doubt it. It sure doesn't seem like it, but props to him as well, because that's an, a hellish market to be stuck in as well. I like I like our use of the word regime. It makes it sound like fucking Saddam Hussein was running the Timberwolves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, A Rod, it's the I don't know. A Rod could be Saddam Hussein. They're gonna find out how to call later. Still team six was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fake face. That's a fake face. I know a fake face when I see a fake face. <laughs> All right. Well, on loyalty, hustle, and respect. I feel like these are the notes we should wrap up on tonight. Yeah. <laughs> There's a hustle, loyalty, respect. Hustle, loyalty.